You're listening to the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast with Mark Allred, Court Lalonde, and Rob Tomlin. You can subscribe and rate our show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Player.fm, SoundCloud.com, and Stitcher Radio. You can support the show financially by going to blackandgoldhockey.com and clicking on the fanatics.com banner before shopping online. You can also purchase exclusive Black and Gold Hockey podcast merchandise in the official B&G shop. And now, time to start the Bruins Hockey Talk from three different countries. Enjoy the show. Hey Bruins fans, welcome back to the 102nd episode of the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast in partnership with SeatGiant.com and SeatGiant.ca uh, for all your Bruins hockey needs, any of your prospect uh, tickets, concerts, anything you want to do outside of the Bruins hockey world, check out at SeatGiant on Twitter and check out their websites. Please use the uh, discount code BNGP to save you a little money. Uh, we have a big show today. Um, we have, oh, yeah, we got, I guess, a big show. Um, we have our listener rewards at the end of the show, which we're going to uh, announce today. We're going to do that first. Uh, we got prospect talk in the second hour with Josh Bemis. But uh, and no further ado, I want to uh, uh, introduce the panel. Uh, Rob, good afternoon. Good morning or good afternoon to you, sir. Good afternoon. Yeah, it's this is the earliest I've ever done this podcast. Nice. It's a uh, feeling good. And covering for court, and uh, he's got some big shoes to fill. Is uh, our friend of a show, uh, Brandon Share Cohen, and Brandon uh, is a feature columnist and news lead over at the HockeyWriters dot com website. You can follow him at B Share Cohen on the tweet machine. Brandon, thank you so much for joining us today, man. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while. And when you guys lose one Canadian, you got to get another one in the show, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know what we're going to do if we lose a Brit. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll keep my eyes out for uh, another Brit for you. Uh, no, I mean, I'm super stoked to have you back on the show and, and also uh, happy that you could be uh, were able to join us and cover for court as he's uh, out doing the, the family thing today, which is very respectable. Right. Um. Like I said, we got a big show, uh, but we're just going to dive right into it with, with uh, the the schedule last week, and I'm telling you, I'm pumped. This team, this Bruins team, is just really turning everything around uh, since that first game debacle, and I, 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 I was talking to my wife, Courtney, and she basically said that, you know, that first Washington game of the season was basically an extension of the preseason, so... Um, it's everything's just coming together right now. Bruins Nation is happy once again. Um, 
and let's just get right into it. Uh, let's go back to Monday's game against the Ottawa Senators. Uh, the Bruins uh, for two first period goals by Patrice Bergeron, who's uh, absolutely on fire. Uh, second period goal by Chris, Chris Wagner, his first as a Bruin. And another in the third period, Patrice Bergeron, David Pasternak, and David Pasternak again uh, round out the scoring for the uh, Boston Bruins. And they end up winning by the score of 6-3, to three, which was a good game, turnaround game for Tuka Rask. Uh, so... Thoughts on the Ottawa game, gentlemen? Uh, I liked... Sorry, sorry, you can go ahead, Rob. Sorry, I was just going to say I didn't get to see most of it as that was the blackout game for us in the UK. Um, but, but from what I saw, the Bruins did a really good job of just... And I think it's the same for every game this week. Um, they just did a really good job of getting the puck out of danger. It, whether it was the breakout pass or guys skating the puck out of danger when they had a chance. They just did a really good job of helping the defense out and just limiting the amount that Ottawa could do to us. Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting that I believe it was five of the six goals were even strength. I, I know one was an empty netter uh, past his last goal of the game. But just four even strength with a, a goalie in net is, is good. I mean, the Bruins' power play obviously has gotten going. You've seen the top line basically just extend to the power play, and they've been... Uh, making the best of chances, but even strength, the Bruins need to get going, and obviously that was a good start to the season with four goals uh, right away. Yeah, and and what can you say about Bergeron and and Pasternak and, and even Marchand? Uh, that that line is just constantly producing uh, and and returning to their glory of, of being the best line in hockey as they were last year. So positive things moving forward. Um, the uh, the second game of the week was against the Edmonton Oilers, which uh, I have to pull up, and uh, uh, a shaky one to start. I mean, Connor McDavid. What can you say about this talent? Uh, just just busts out on a breakaway and, and scores on Yaroslav Halak, but that wasn't a downfall to that game at all against the Oilers um, at, at TD Garden. Um, it just seemed to really get a rise out of this Bruins team and, and, and David Pasternak, uh, Brad Marchand, and, and uh, Joachim Nordstrom, who got his first as, uh, as a Bruin, uh, really piled it on to finish a, a three-goal Bruins first period. And uh, there was no scoring in the second, and Patrice Bergeron adding his fifth uh, in the third period. Um, thoughts there, Rob? Um, just... Uh... The, I think the Bruins realise that the only line you really have to shut down with the Oilers is that first line. If you can keep McDavid and maybe Ty Ratty, how he's been playing, if you can keep them limited to what they can do, um, then you shut down the entire team. All the offence goes through that and the power play. So if you can keep penalties to a minimum, you're probably going to win against the Oilers. So they they did a good job other than that one slip-up. And I mean... That's just the generational talent coming through with McDavid. I mean, not many players are going to make that play and walk around a guy like Chara and score. So, I mean, it, it was definitely a great game by the Bruins. And I, I like to see a lot of people calling out um, Cassidy for putting 
Joachim Nordstrom up on that second line, but it definitely worked out during that game. I think he did a really good job. Yeah, I think, and again, it's a contrast to what I just said about the Ottawa game. The Bruins scored a couple of uh, power play goals in that game, and they, they kind of showed that. I, I know people were down on Matt Grislyk after the first game against Washington where he just, I mean, I thought he came away with some good uh, instinctive plays, but obviously there was a few times when he'd miss the puck at the blue line or he just wouldn't be able to distribute it properly. But I thought his instincts were good. And then you saw in that game where he got two assists uh, on the power play right away back-to-back. So I thought he showed a lot of poise. And uh, again, like like Rob said with the McDavid goal, Cher is usually good at watching the gaps like that and covering gaps. But McDavid is so fast, and it's just it was so early in the game, you know, just things like that happen. So I, I don't think it. I think the best part and the best takeaway from that is that the Bruins didn't fall behind just because they were down by a goal. They didn't let that kill the morale. Absolutely. And uh, rounding off the week um, on Saturday, which would be last night, uh, as we record this show. Um, just a, an absolute beatdown at TD Garden um, for the afternoon game, which was actually it's supposed to be a 7 o'clock game, but got changed uh, due to the uh, the Red Sox. Um, um, I think it was the game. It was a game one. Game one of the ALCS. Yeah. yeah so uh, a good afternoon game for, for the folks in attendance, uh, starting it off with the the only first period goal by uh, the, the red hot uh, David Pasternak. And... Um, in the second period, Charlie McAvoy gets his first, Jake DeBrus gets his first, and Pasternak again with his sixth. Uh, and then going to the third period, Pasternak with the hat trick, his seventh. Uh, Anders Bjork, nice to see him get on the board. And uh, Jake DeBrusque again in, in that third period and, and to end the game uh, with a little snipe was uh, Sean Corrali for his, uh, his first of the game. Uh, Rob, did you get a chance to see this game? Yes, and I am so glad it was moved forward because it was one of them games where I was going to have to miss it. Uh, but it got moved forward, so luckily I got a chance to watch the full game live. And I just think this this was the best game of the season. This is uh, not just because of the scoreline either, just because of the way the guys played. Um, it was just mid-season form Bruins. I mean, Bergeron looks like he's in the playoffs. He's playing so well, it's unreal. Um, Pasternak, at the beginning of the game, seemed to be trying to do too much with the puck. I think he was expecting to walk through the defence, uh, and it wasn't coming to him. But he's been utilised really well with that one-timer. And I think he has that uh, ability to find open space and unleash it. And there was, I think it was for his second goal, was on the power play and the... Uh, he got the first one-timer and missed the net. But he didn't like rush the play. He didn't try and go into the corner, retrieve it. He let Bergeron go get the puck, stayed in position, kept away from the defense, and got that second one-timer off and top shelf. So I, it was just a really good game by all lines, I think. I think the the fourth line, were they struggled a little bit at times. Um, that second and third line for the first two periods kind of ran the show. Uh, I think they did really well. Uh, that third line pairing, like you were saying, Brandon, with Grizzlick on it and Miller, you got that kind of, uh, you got that offensive style defenseman with a bit of a two-way guy who can carry the puck, but he can also be really good in his own end. They, they did such a good job. I think that pairing was out there more than the second pairing for the first two periods. So uh, I 
I just really like that game. I think it was a complete showcase of what the Bruins are capable of this season, and no one can take them lightly now. Yeah, and I think a lot of people obviously are focusing on Pasternak with that hat trick. Uh, I was really excited to see what Bjork and DeBrus did. I've been kind of on the Bjork train since he was in college, and he looked like he was in college last night on his goal. He just he did exactly what he would do, you know, get the puck, skate into the zone, and just rip it home. And as for DeBrusque, I, uh, I've been saying recently that he's just going to, I mean, he's been outstanding. And I know the points didn't reflect that up until, you know, he scored two goals yesterday, but they were coming. He's just been outstanding uh, this season. So it's good to see them finally get going and, and finally get rewarded for the work he's been doing. Yeah, for me, from the the um, from the games this week, I saw a lot of very positive things um, with this team. A zone entries were good. A puck possession was really good, and and the defense, I'm I'm really impressed with on how uh, supportive they've been, uh, regardless of who's in net. So, um, a lot of a lot of good things moving forward. I know it's still early. I'm not, you know. I'm happy with what 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 what's going on, and they're, you know they're they're in second place right now, right behind Toronto uh, by two points. So, I mean, we all know what happened on the during the off season that this uh, this Atlantic Division was going to be a tight one. But I also didn't see a start like this for for the bees as much as I hope that you know they they you know be undefeated by now. But you know that's just wishful thinking. Um, what any any idea i mean just just by watching like what was the transformation i mean was it something cassidy said or was it just the the team of of leaders that this this bruins core has buckled down and just and just find something inside of them to to you know to have some advice to the younger guys and just say hey we're all in this let's do this together and and change because it obviously is you know there's two sides of the coin from that Washington game to the four games that we've we've seen in the in the past week and a half. I think it's honestly if you look at the lineup you have on the forward core you have a leader on every single line. You got Bergeron on line one, Krejci on line two, Backus center in line three, and then you've got a guy like Nola Chari who everyone says is a great guy to have around and very much part of the leadership of that team. And then on the defense, you've got Chara on line one. Uh, you've got John Moore, the new acquisition, on line two. He's been doing a really good job of filling in for Krug. And then on line three, you've got Kevin Miller, who's stepped up in the last few years and really took a, a behind-the-scenes leadership role with the team. So when you look at it like that, there's not many other teams around the league where they've got that leadership group on every single line that you look at. Uh also, the the small acquisitions that the Bruins made, where a lot of people were were calling out for a guy like Ilya Kovalchuk, they were calling out for the biggest of the biggest names out there. Uh, they brought in the smaller guys. They they paid a guy like John Moore a lot less than I think he's worth. Uh, I mean, the term was the one thing that was kind of iffy about it. But when you look at how he's been playing. Five years at two and a half million looks like a steal for that guy. If he can play top four minutes around the league, top four guys are getting four million plus. So that guy is really good money for what you've got. Um, a guy like what uh, Yakim Nordstrom, 
he uh, steps in on the second line for the past two games. He looked really good. Uh, I think he's unfortunate not to have scored more than he has. Uh, he's done really well at puck retrieval, let Krejci play that deep centre line, and then him and Debrus go in on the forecheck and get it done. Uh, and then you've got guys like Wagner stepping up on the fourth line, been playing amazing, really physical guy, going in on the forecheck. It, and not to mention Yaroslav Alak, who, from what I remember, is undefeated other than the fact that he stepped in in game one. So these guys are stepping up, and I think a lot of people were expecting these guys to not be as good as they are. And Cassidy said, if if you want a part of this team, you're going to step up, take a leadership role, get guys going, do whatever you got to do to win games. And they're, that's exactly what they're doing. Yeah, just to, uh, to echo what Rob's saying too, um, uh, to start with Nordstrom, I think the whole idea with getting Nordstrom in the lineup was to kind of show Heinen, Donato, even Bjork, not to a lesser extent, but anyone that wants to play on that second line, what you have to do well in the NHL. So that's puck retrieval. That's going to the boards. That's getting a position where you need to be. That's doing more than just being an offensive dynamo, you know? So I think that Nordstrom's done a good job. Even though he's... I, I love the addition of him. I thought he was really good in Chicago. I wasn't crazy about him getting on the second line. But obviously, he's done a little things well. And when you talk about a line that has uh, Jake Tabresk and uh, David Krejci... You don't really need that finisher, uh, so to speak. You need someone that's going to go to the dirty areas of the ice. That's why Horton, that's why Aginla, they worked out so well. Obviously, they could both bury, but they were also very good at working into the dirty areas of the ice. Uh, John Moore, I thought the money was fine. I think the term is long, like you said, and that's kind of what the issue with Bacchus was, too. The money is what it is for Bacchus, but the term is what really hurt people. For uh, for John Moore, I think it was a three-year deal. No one would really complain about that. Uh, Wagner's looking like the new Tim Schaller, you know, maybe not as offensively gifted, not that Schaller was offensively gifted, but I think he's going to score more points, uh, or he would have scored more points last year than Wagner will this year, but just kind of easily gelling with Achari and Corrali, who in their own right are both captains and leaders, even though they don't have letters on their jerseys. And I think the first game of the season, going back to what you're saying, uh, Mark, it's just, it was the anomaly, you know, Boston always does poorly against Washington, unless, you know, Locke goes on the ice. But uh, you have a game where it's the first game of the season. You're uh, on the road in Washington after they have their banner being raised. They're you know at an emotional high, and you're playing a team that you're historically not good against. Now there's no excuse for the Bruins playing as poorly as they did, even with the China trip. That's one thing you know, but it doesn't matter because seven nothing is seven nothing. So I think bouncing back was expected. And I think it's also, it, it speaks to the level of uh, teams they've been playing against as well. You know, Buffalo, Ottawa, Edmonton, Detroit. Out of those four teams, is one going to make the playoffs? Maybe Edmonton, right? Mm-hmm. So you kind of expect the Bruins to do well in these games. And I think they've done extremely well in these games. But uh, outside of the top line, I think only until uh, up until recently, we didn't really see the other, team, the other lines doing anything in terms of point production. So it's nice to see them get going in the last game. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's so good to, to spread everything out. Um, and, and, and I love the way Cassidy is running the four, four lines of offense. Uh, I've been a huge proponent of, of, of that because that, that is where the, the league is trending. And, and for, for, you know, for, the, for the grinders and for the enforcer uh, fans out there, it's just something that you're going to have to get used to. I mean, 
it is what it is, but it's exciting. It's exciting to see uh, games like yesterday, especially when you put up a snowman against against uh, an original six, um, you know, team. So, uh, but looking forward at the the next week, there's three games of a four game road trip that is set up for next week, starting uh, in Calgary at 9:30 p.m. on Wednesday night. Uh, the first game of a back-to-back in, in the uh, province of Alberta. Um, but going into Calgary, Calgary's got one home win, and uh, they're 3-2 and two, uh, on the season. So um, it, that's not going to be a gimme game. Uh, Calgary is, a, is a, what we call here a, kind of a, a sleeper team, and I believe they're going to be uh, a pretty decent uh, team. And obviously, you know, going to try to uh, to bump off the Bruins of this uh, of this recent uh, high that they're on. And then uh, going into Edmonton on Thursday night uh, at the uh, latter part of the back-to-back, um, Edmonton is uh, winless at home as we record this today, uh, and they're one two on the record with two points. So um, from what we saw on, um, on uh, last week on Thursday night, uh, the four to one win over Edmonton. I hope, hopefully, expect the same. Obviously, it's going to be in a different environment, uh, which can always be a little different. And then rounding it off uh, on Saturday, they play at 10 p.m. Uh, against the Vancouver Canucks, and Vancouver has one win, uh, home win, and is uh, three and two with six points uh, on the season so far. So, uh, thoughts on the upcoming trip? Um, it's, it's, in my opinion, it's not going to be a cakewalk. No. Um, Calgary is going to be a difficult game. Um, I think Vancouver is going to be a difficult game with the speed that they've got. Um, they've got they've got that bottom six that's like the grindy type of guys, and they're gonna they're gonna go hard and physical into the walls. And I think that's a real test for our D men. Uh, but I, I just think the Edmonton one used to be kind of a rivalry, used to kind of be an entertaining matchup. I don't see it as much anymore. I kind of just see it as like you, you're playing against Conor McDavid. There's not really much else there that you're too scared of anymore. Um, so that game for me is kind of a that that's my gimme game. I think if they blow anyone out on this road trip, it's going to be Edmonton. Um, and honestly, I think the bogey team are Vancouver. I think that's the one game that's probably going to be a lot tighter than everyone expects it to be. I, I think that's fair, just because you said like they have the speed and also they have the grinding type players, which a lot of people have made fun of this off season. But I mean you have to give them respect for what they do well. And I think the Bruins have, I don't want to say they haven't done well against the boards, but some of the bottom pairing uh, lines, uh, pairings and lines, sorry, haven't done as well against the boards as you'd like early on. Honestly, that's picked up over the last game or two. And uh, the other lines have gotten a little more involved, but uh, that's where line shuffling comes in at the beginning of the season. You know, I love Dan Heiden. I think he's really good against the boards, but he has been doing what he's done well. So he's sitting in the press box right now. So when you talk about a game against, Vancouver, you need all of your players and all hands on deck to really... It's going to be a tough game. It's going to be a grind, you know, by definition. And I think they have the speed to match speed, and I think they have the ability to play on the boards, but it has to all come together in one game. 
And I think just for this road trip in general, I think three to four points is where like you're aiming for. Five to six, you're really happy coming away from it because that West trip, uh, West Coast trip is really grueling for any team, you know. Especially after you you're on a four game winning streak, you want to kind of keep your head up high. It's hard to go on the road in three straight games out in Western Canada, uh, and especially when it's like Mark said, it's kind of sleeper games or like trap games against Edmonton and Vancouver. Even when you think it should be easy wins, but it really might not be because you have that mindset of, and we've seen the Bruins do it before in the past as well. You should win a game. So sometimes you sleep a little bit, but I've been encouraged with what I've seen in the last, you know, four games where they've beaten teams they should be beating. So I, I have high hopes for this trip, but it's in no way going to be an easy trip. Yeah, and, and 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 a reminder for our listeners that happen to be in the Calgary area, Edmonton area, or Vancouver on this road trip, um, if you want to get in the action and you're close to these um, uh, stadiums, uh, please check out Seat Giant. Uh, dot ca for tickets i mean the calgary game on wednesday night i looked on the website and i mean you could get in the in the door for uh, i think 21 dollars. so uh definitely go check them out and save a little money by using the uh discount code bngp um so moving forward um i it i love the way this this goaltending tandem is is working out I mean, this I, I said it when Yaroslav Halak was signed um, to this Bruins team, um, and I said that this could possibly be uh, a top three tandem in the league, if not the best for the Win- William Jennings Trophy. But I, I, I have to bring it up, and I know it's it's kind of asinine and so on, and, and one writer particularly really touches on this very often when it goes back and forth. But it, is there a goaltending controversy or... Or do you like the way that uh, Bruce Cassidy is planning these games? Because I actually do enjoy seeing like a Rask on Monday against Ottawa, and then a, uh, a Yaroslav Halak on Thursday against Edmonton, and then Saturday, obviously, Rask was back in the net. So I kind of like that bounce back and forth. Um, and where do you guys see the games uh, played lined up? Is it, you know, 30 for... For Yarrow and and fifty for Rask and let me hear your thoughts, Rob. Uh, probably thirty fifty, like you said. Well, th- probably thirty two fifty. Uh, everyone says that Rask plays better when he plays around the fifty game mark. So even give Yarrow a few more games. Uh, I'm, he can handle it. He's played. He's played the fifty to sixty games before when he's been in uh, New York. So there's always the the thing that he can play more than a backup. So I don't mind doing the, like, for now, at the beginning of the season especially, like one game for Rask, then the next game for Yarrow, and then the next game for Rask. It, as long as it's working right now, why mess with it? Like, I, I, I just keep riding it out. But everyone's saying it's this whole, like, oh, uh, Halak is now the 1B. Like he's the, like they're just doing a dual starter system, and they're not. Like Halak came in, and said, "I understand I'm the backup here, and that's what I'm going to play my role as. I'm the backup. I'm not looking to take time from the starter." So it it's good. It's just that whole that whole mindset where I've got frustrated about it before on the show, um, like last night. Uh, Rask gets beaten twice 
in an 8-2 blowout. And no one focuses, well, people do focus on the good things, but there's that that group out there that instead of praising what happened during the game, you you have to trash on someone. And I, I just don't get it. Like, I don't understand why you trash on a team that's just beaten someone at 8-2. Um, like, the goal, the goaltending tandem is what it is. Rask is your starter, Halak is your backup. But, like I said, for now, I'd just run run it to the beginning of the season where they play a game each and then see how it goes. I'm just kind of tired about hearing about goalie controversies in Boston, especially when it's one specific writer over and over and over again. <laughs> and, uh, and I'll say this. I happen to have unfollowed one specific writer about a year ago. I don't know if this is the same writer, but it probably is. And it's just, it did my life so much better because I don't have to uh, see it or read it or even think about it. Remember last year when Hadobin had a great start and Rask had kind of a rough start? Obviously, there's injuries in between, but their goalie controversy how, you know, Hadobin was going to be the new uh, goalie in Boston and Rask was going to be the backup because he just wasn't keeping up. And then things kind of leveled out and Rask became the clear starter. It's almost like that's happening again this year where Rask has kind of a slow start to the season, kind of has to, you know, uh, oil the gears a bit and get going. I don't think there's any such thing as a goalie controversy in Boston when you have a goalie who very clearly said, I understand I'm the backup goalie. The same way Hadobin said it last year where he understood he was the backup, wanted to be a starter somewhere, but knowing that he's a backup. And I think it's good if the Bruins have Halak winning games and Rask winning games because you want Halak to get in as many games as he can to keep Rask fresh for the playoffs. Because when the playoffs roll around, you're not going to be going back and forth between two goaltenders. You're going to be rolling Chuka Rask every single game. So when you keep him fresh, if you can get any kind of, you know, consistent wins out of your backup goaltender, that's a very good formula to winning a Stanley Cup. Look at Washington last year. Yeah, absolutely. And and I, it's just a good thing to have. Um, there's so many positive things to have on this team. The, the youth, the, 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 the veteran core, and, and goaltenders that you can rely on. And I'm seeing very positive things uh, this early in the season. Um and you know, as I'm a big goaltending fan anyway, so for me, it's it's the W. I mean, it's what you do to get that W as a team, and and I really try not to focus on the individual efforts a, a whole lot. But when it comes down to these two, these two individuals, I mean, they really seem like they really want to do good uh, this season, and and you know. They're both over thirty. I, I, I believe in, in goaltending years. Uh, you know, this is this is the prime of of, of their career, and um, especially Yarrow. When you when you see him in the crease, he he reminds me of a younger goaltender just by the way he moves. Um, very fluid in the crease, uh, square uh, square to the puck, and uh, and and uh, sees the uh, the puck very well through traffic. So along with Rast, who I mean, I'm a huge Rast fan. And um, you know it, it's just a good good problem to have, and I'm 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 enjoying it so far. But uh, another thing that I'm really enjoying is this first line dominance, and and I, I know we brought it up a little bit when we we're talking about the uh, the games of last week, but um, just talking about some some numbers, uh, I mean that line is on a four game point streak of Marsha and Bergeron and Pasternak. Um, Bergeron having five goals, six assists, and 11 points in those five games. Marchand, one goal, nine assists, 10 points in five games. And Pasternak, 
which is just an unreal seven goals, uh, two assists, and nine points in those five games. Um, it's this is an amazing line, and I can't speak enough of it. And I just it's just I didn't expect it last year, I didn't expect it this year, but it's very positive to see. Um, and the way Bergeron has been playing, and I gotta I gotta I gotta you know kick myself in the ass a little bit here because I was kind of questioned him because. He is coming off, I believe, his third season, uh, off season. You know, he, a little unwary of where when he was going to start uh, due to injuries and surgeries because uh, he, he's just a warrior, and and I get that. But when you talk about Bergeron, it's like he's thirty two games away from a thousand. I mean, I'm feeling old just by saying that, <laughs> and he's six goals away from three hundred, and he's fifty five points away from eight hundred. I mean. This guy's a tank. Yeah, and like you said, it, it, the thing is, it's taking his taking a toll with his body. And the guys, I, I don't know. I'd hate to think how many surgeries the guys had so far in his playing career. Um, it it's just like you said, utter dominance. Like that line is. And not just as a Bruins fan, but as a hockey fan, that is the best line in the world right now, I think. Uh, Other than probably, I think Toronto gets maybe the more media hype with the whole, like, John Tavares and all that stuff, uh, and Matthews. But they're on two different lines. I think when you look at it with that one line that's just outproducing everyone, um, it, it's just insane. And the thing is, like, this season, it looks like Marchand's trying to set guys up more than he's trying to go on his own, which is amazing. Like, the goal last night to get um, past the hat-trick. What a beauty. He a, yeah, he had a perfect chance to just shoot that when Pasta gave it to him. But he, he had no eyes for the net whatsoever. He just gave it in straight back. And I think he'd have even done that if that was his Pasta's first goal of the game. Yeah, um, it was it was it was a pass the whole way. Like it was incredible to watch. Yeah, it was like when I was watching that, I I was thinking about tweeting out Pasta's definitely going to get a hat trick. But then in my brain, every time that I think about doing something like that, I stop myself uh, because <laughs> I don't want to jinx it. Uh, so when when I saw that just even start to happen in the neutral zone, I was like, oh my god, it's going to happen here. Like, you could tell the puck was going in the net, no matter which one shot it, there was going to be a goal at that point. And that's the thing about this line. You can see when when they're about to score. Like, you can tell from the shift that they're about to put the puck in the back of the net, and it's it's just amazing to watch at the moment. That that line is the best in hockey. And uh, just real quick, Mark, you're saying you feel old with Bergeron. When he debuted, I was eight, so I'm obviously very young myself. But <laughs> considering I was eight when he debuted, you know, like that's that's insane to me. Thanks for <laughs> he's that. Thanks for that job. <laughs> <laughs> he's uh, he's been my favorite since he debuted. You know, he's he's excellent. When I was eight, I was able to acknowledge how good he was. And when you're eight, you don't really know hockey. You know, you're a fan, but you're not in tune with everything that's going on. Just that's how good he was. You know. Yeah. But I think. And I've I've been on this for a while too. I would break up that top line, despite how good they are, because even if you break them up, you can put them back together in a pinch and know they can score a goal for you. So if I put, let's say, Pasternak on the second line and Bjork like I want on the first line, because 
I believe it or not, when Bjork was on the top line last season before he got hurt, that line was even better than it was is with Pasternak, just based off of like possession metrics. So when you talk about taking a little bit of the, uh, you know, that that powerhouse off of the line with Pasternak going to the second line, and you're kind of spreading the wealth around, that doesn't mean you can't change. If you're down by a goal with two minutes to go, there's no reason you can't just say, all right, Pasternak back on the top line with Bergeron and Marchand, and then you know try and get that goal. There's no reason you can't just do that. So I think for a better, well-rounded attack, I split them up. But for now, like you said, what is it, 30 points in the last four games, like a four-game point streak for those three? Yeah. It's unbelievable. If you take out that first game of the season, it looks even better. But obviously, you can't just you know pick and choose. But that line, once the rest of the team gets going, which, again, we kind of saw in the, the Detroit game, if the rest of the team can get going a little bit and they do decide to keep that line together, which Bruce Cassidy seems to be very keen on doing, then you're talking about just dominance. And back like Rob was saying with Toronto, it's nice to have the depth. You know, we have three centers down the middle that can play uh, long minutes, that can score 30 goals a season. The Bruins don't have that, obviously. But the Bruins have the best line in hockey, and they have a better defensive core. So when you're kind of going back and forth on who's better and where, you can always kind of give an edge to, for, in one department to one team or the other. And you kind of come out even with Boston and Toronto. And I even put Tampa Bay in that mix. I think... All three teams can finish first, second, and third, you know. But having that top line really sets you apart. Yeah, and, and when you're talking about Pasternak and, and where he fits on this team, obviously a, a, a huge uh, uh, cannon on that first line. But um, I was reading an article by um, blackandgoldhockey.com website teammate Liz Rizzo. Uh, you can follow her at pastagirl88. That's pasta, G-R-L-88. Uh, wrote a fantastic article yesterday about um, everything at pasta. Um, what I like, what I would like to see is is in certain situations, like like games recently, like against Buffalo, Ottawa, Edmonton, and Detroit. Um, you know, you could run with the one line and be reliable on those guys. Obviously, uh, you know, after four games, all those guys getting points, you can rely on um, the top line, but. When you get down into like the you know, the when you start playing teams like Pittsburgh and and you know Washington and this and that later on in the season, that those are situations I would like to see Bruce try to put Pasta on that second line just for that, just for that extra scoring depth. You know what I'm saying? And and it just kind of spread it out just a little bit more against teams like that. And then when you go and play Ottawa or or, or some lower level teams in the league. You go back to you know putting pasta in that first line, Is it, but it's just my thought though. Yeah, and I mean, even if you put pasta on the second line, but then put him back with those guys for the power play, it makes it harder for guys to defend against them because they don't learn the little things that they do if they're not on the same line. Um, like you can learn how to shut down a line from seeing the weaknesses and everything, but if they don't play together all the time, but then you throw them together on a power play unit, it's very hard to realize actually what's going to happen. Uh, so that might be a good idea if they do split them up to just have them together on the power play. And I mean, that power play is ticking already. So if a team's like e- even more struggling against them during a power play, uh, it's just lights out. Sorry, do, do, I, I can't answer that. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. I, I didn't know whose uh, turn it was to speak. But, no, it's uh, okay. 
Yeah, no, like you said, you can kind of get an idea about what they're going to do and how to game. I guess you can game plan and watch tape. But that line, I just, I would have nightmares if I was a defender going up against that line or even just a backchecking forward because you're talking about Brad Marchand, 30 to 40 goal potential. David Pasternak, 30 to 40 goal potential. I mean, maybe more depending on, you know, where he gets in his career. And Patrice Bergeron can easily score 30 goals. We've seen it multiple times now. How do you defend that? You know, one line can get 100 goals on you. Who do you stop? There's only so many people you can, like, focus your attention on. And if you get one player isolated to a, a slide of the ice, like they like to do with Pasternak on the power play especially, there's no stopping it. Especially when Pasternak tries to break the puck every time he takes a shot, you know? Yeah. And and and, and jumping back on Pasternak, he scored his 100th goal last night, um, which was the uh, second fastest to – or was it the fastest that – I know Barry Peterson got 100 goals in 187 games. So I think Pasta might have broken that record. I could be wrong. I think he might have been second or third. Okay. But the last time, you know, that, that uh, you know, uh, 100 goals scored was in that time frame was Barry Peterson. And ben, Jesus, yeah. Barry Peterson goes back to uh, the early 80s. So obviously traded for Cam Neely. And every time Jack Edwards says that Pasternak is still only 22 years old. Jesus <laughs> Christ. Yeah, like every time I see him, I'm like, oh, Pasternak's been around forever and he's like one of the better players in the league. And then you think about it and he's 22 and you're like, oh my God. And he loves Boston so much. Like that's the best thing about it. Like he loves the town. It like loves the city, loves the team. Oh, but he's going to be around for a long time. If you if you check out Liz's article on Black and Gold Hockey uh, Hockey dot com, she really got into a lot of the things about him. Not only his playing style, but you know he's he's like you said, he loves Boston, but he he's a big proponent of fashion, which is which is cool, um, and 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 community. Um, I think that he's just really bought into what this organization has to offer for him. And, and he's just running with it um, in such a positive way. And honestly, when he was picked, I, I, I didn't see, I didn't see this at all. I thought that he was going to be a good player, but not, not like this. I mean, he, I mean, he's, he's getting like, like Rob said, he's getting to be like league best um, material. And it's just amazing to see. And, um, I, and going back to what Jack Edwards said yesterday, I believe, uh, or maybe somebody else said, and I, I apologize if I if I screw this up, but um, you know, Detroit the Detroit Red Wings were going to pick Pasternak, but it ended up with Larkin. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. Past, uh, if Larkin wasn't on the board, they were going to pick Pasternak. Uh, but Larkin remained on the board, so they picked Larkin instead of him. Yeah, so that's still amazing, and and I hope he continues this because this is just this is awesome, and and uh, to be a supporting member on that line, which is already so supportive, this is amazing to see. And just think about that, like when you're talking about Larkin, who went I think 15th overall in 2014. Mm-hmm. That's almost 10 picks ahead of, or that, sorry, that's exactly 10 picks ahead of where Pasternak actually went. So going into that draft, the Bruins knew they wanted Pasternak, and they got him. And I thought he was going to be maybe you know, a 20-goal, 50-point-a-year score, good two-way player. But like you said, no one could have seen this coming. 
And just to follow up on the the stat before, he's the third fastest to get uh, to 100 goals in the Bruins behind uh, Barry Peterson, who did it in 187 games, and did Clapper in 247. But he's the second fastest in the modern era. So that's, oh. I think, so we were both right. <laughs> nice. I, I knew having Brandon on, he dropped that kind of knowledge. So very well done, sir. Um, what uh, Thoughts on Ryan Donato and, and sitting... Um, I'm not sure what game. I think it was the Edmonton game that he sat. Um, yeah. Kind of got a little bit of uh, the emotions out of uh, Bruins Nation when he did sit and, and questioning why. Um, I thought it was a good move. Um, I think Ryan's a very good player. I think he's got a lot to learn. And I think that's exactly why uh, uh, Bruce and, and, and coaching staff uh, approached it like that, is to see a game from the higher level and see where you possibly are making your mistakes in the two-way game. Um, you know, the kid's got the skill, the attributes to be a fantastic player uh, and the speed, but there's other parts of the game he needs to work on. So, um and, and the same thing happened with Jake DeBrusque last year, and I, I think they got to see him wake up um, and, and produce a little bit more after that. So it's not necessarily a, a bad thing to sit a player at his, at, you know, at his age. Um, it's just a, it's all around it's going to work out, and it's not a slap in the face to him at all. It's just it is what it is, and it's, it's been done so many times in the past, and no need to freak out. Can I, yeah, so... People kind of freaked out about the Nada being sad. I had no issue with it. Again, my issue was kind of just who they put on the second line, but that worked out, so I'm not going to argue it. When Danton Highland was sad, I didn't say anything about that, and I'm Danton Highland's biggest supporter, you know, because sometimes you need to let players take a breather, take a seat, and see the game from above. It happened to Brandon Carlo, too, last year, I believe, where he just sat from above. It happened to Dougie Hamilton, I remember, in the past. Uh, just letting them sit above the the ice and looking down and getting you know an earful from the assistant coaches and saying hey this is what you need to do better you see that play there just you know basic information and I think with Ryan Donato something people need to remember is he's a center you know he's playing wing he's only got a, a couple of games uh, you know at the position just a, a little more than a handful of games let's say what two handfuls of games and he's gone left wing right wing he's played one game at center he's kind of jumping all around. Last season, when we saw what he was able to do outside of, uh, you know, his first games in the NHL, he's coming out of college, coming out of the Olympics. That was after he played some very important games in the NCAA and the Olympics. So he already had his feet underneath him. He already had the rhythm. This season, he's starting from scratch. So there's no momentum. There's no, you know, adrenaline pushing him. So I think he's got to just, you know, slow the game down a bit. Not the way he plays, but just the way he sees it. Kind of pick back up the little things that he does well. And he's never been a great, you know, player along the boards. But he's also, in the past, he's been able to play again along the boards. This season, it's like he's just forgotten that part of the game. And the game's way too fast and it's way too physical to uh, to just let one of those aspects of the game go by. So I think if Donato now gets a chance to, you know, work his way back up the lineup, because he's, he's going to get back on the second line, or we're going to see, you know, some combination of him, Bjork, and Donato playing on the second line until we get a consistent... Uh, you know, a consistent look at who's going to do well there. I think Donato's going to pick it up. He's going to he's going to get his feet underneath him. He's going to start picking up the little things again. And it's just it's the beginning of the season. You know, it's so young. He's played four games this year. Give him a chance. Give Hein a chance. Bjork's been excellent. He's going to slump at some point. It happens to every player. You know, I think people like to 
panic and freak out way too early about things. So, yeah, the thing with um, like all three of those guys, uh, I think the guy that didn't really gel well on the third line was Heinen, and he's now sitting out. And when you see what um, Bjork and Donato can do together with Bacchus in the middle, I, I think Heinen's got the the harder job of pushing himself back into the lineup. Uh, and if he does fit in anywhere, I think it, it's got to be on that second line. Because I, d- I don't think you can break up that third line now with how well they played over the last few games. Uh, unless they regress, like you said, maybe have a bit of a slump and Heinen sits back in. But this was what I was talking about the other week when I said... Um, about the whole, like you've got de- you've got the depth to make a trade if one's needed, and when you're sitting guys with this much talent uh, to let them watch the game and understand what they've got to be doing on certain lines, it just goes to show how well the Bruins have done bringing these guys in and getting them to the NHL level already in their careers. I mean, we didn't see this a few years ago. The Bruins were. Uh, one of the teams where they they like to have a hell of a lot of veterans on the team and they didn't really bring up too many um, rookies at the time. But you look at this team now and there's so many like first or second year guys on the squad. It's kind of crazy. I think a lot of the issue with that as well was just the drafts were so poor for a while that there was no players coming up, right? Yeah. So it, it was, it was rough. Yeah, but now now that the prospect pool is is seemingly replenished, and you know, I I can see where Rob was coming from, where where maybe you know a trade needs to happen to kind of you know get an outlook of of where a player is going to be in the future, and to say, listen, you know, he he's a little lower in the in the depth um, of this organization. We're probably not going to see him. He might be the, that person that needs to be moved because. You know, you want to get value now and not have a player walk later. So that's just kind of my mentality. But was yeah, that kind and, of like a Rob O'Gara and also like a, a lingering kind of deal. Yeah, and, yeah. And also, also like Matt Benning. I mean, Matt Benning wasn't uh, isn't a great defenseman, but he also had the smarts to say and sit down with Don Sweeney and another members of management and say, "Listen, you McAvoy, you got Zboril, Lauzon, you got all these guys ahead of me. I just don't see my fit in Boston. You know, I think it's time that we part ways. And and that's exactly what they did. And they didn't, you know, want to entertain uh, a contract offer for. You know, I think Matt wanted to have a better chance at at NHL success elsewhere. Which and it's not a bad thing to do. It's and it's not. Uh, you know, and that's not a. Uh, a bad thing on on his game, but it's just where you see yourself and and where the organization places you dictates you know playing time. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of guys now where the they're a lot more confident than guys used to be. Um, there's a lot of guys where they can see themselves being on the NHL roster. I mean, uh, Jack Stonika came into camp uh, basically saying. It's NHL or back to the OHL for him, and he really wanted to make the NHL, and I think that's that's what broke him out in that camp. I mean, he looked amazing. I think he is a guy if he comes in with the same confidence next season, will crack a third line centre spot. Um, it, it's just it's such a different world today than it used to be. Like 
the the younger guys have more confidence than they used to. They don't need as much mentorship from the older guys. Uh, the training's completely different in the lower leagues than it was like 10 years ago. So guys that have gone through it, they think they might think, oh, it's still the same. But it, it's just crazy how much it has changed. And you've seen it with Boston. Like you were saying, the draft for us 10 years ago was no good and guys weren't coming through. And it, it now it just seems like they're constantly picking gold no matter where they pick from. They can pick from the fourth, fifth round. They're still picking guys that can almost make an NHL roster within a couple of seasons. So it, it's absolutely crazy to see, but it, it's going to be also fun and nerve-wracking over the next few seasons, I think. I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there, too, saying like players that you came up in a certain system a certain way, they kind of still see it like, oh, well, you know, you got to have that mentorship and you've got to have certain things to be successful. And I think you see that a lot with general managers, too, where they have this old school mentality, even head coaches, you know, an old school mentality where they think grinding hockey player uh, has to do certain things well. Other things will come naturally. It, it's it's a point now where players realize, hey, I'm very skilled, but I have to work hard. And they don't need the same kind of, I guess, handholding as they used to. And you see players now that are how many players 10 years ago would have been 18 to 22 in the league leading the points uh, point categories from like one through a hundred, you know, there's probably 70 out of a hundred of those players that are between, you know, what, 18 and 25. Yeah. That's crazy. I, I don't think you've ever seen that ever in the NHL before. And it's kind of spread across all leagues too, right? Like every league seems to get younger and that's good. And I think with Boston, you've got to, you've got so many young faces and I think that's also why a guy like Austin Zarnick last year, like I wanted him to be traded because there's no way he was going to be staying at Boston in the offseason. Even if you say, well, we promise we're going to give you a chance next year, he can say, yeah, but there's still such a deep depth chart that even if I get a chance, one falter gets me out of the lineup. So him leaving Boston and going to another team and saying, hey, I'm going to get a chance here and I'm actually going to get a time to, uh, to play, I think that was the best move for his career. Same for, you know, I, I don't think Tony Cross is an NHL defenseman, but good for him for going and getting some... You know, a chance to be higher in a depth chart again. Yeah, yeah. and obviously, and, you know, adding that leader, pre- uh, you know, that leadership that he did in uh, Providence and bringing it on to the um, the minor pro level of the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets. Yeah, and I th- I think it's also the same. Like I know a lot of people badmouth guys going to like European teams and especially the KHL, but. I think it's honestly the same with going there. If they don't see themselves fitting in any team's depth chart, then why stay in the NHL? Why limit yourself to what you can do? Why not go to... I mean, I've seen players from the NHL go to playing hockey in Italy. Um, it, it's it's one of them things. If, you're, if you don't feel like you're a necessity to a team anymore or you... you one of their prized products. Why stay around? You saw it with Kolkhovichev going to the, uh, the KHL, and I've always been a big supporter of Hashtag Kolkhovichev. Yeah, that, <laughs> that guy. He went to he went to the KHL. I think he's matured a lot since going to the KHL. But we saw it during the off season where people were like, oh my god, he's going to come back. Like every a lot of people thought that he was going to come back and be the third line centre for the Bruins. Uh, 
I think he could come back to the NHL. Maybe not the Bruins, but I think he could come back and be like higher on a depth chart or at least on an NHL roster for one of the teams. So people leaving to go elsewhere, even if it's staying in the NHL and going to a different team, if that team's got needs um, and you can fill that, then why not take a chance? But like like Brandon said, it there's some players where you see them and you think, oh, did like there's eight guys ahead of them now, even if they're in the OHL or the uh, American League. Like you just think, right, trade them now while they've got a tiny bit of value to that team that wants them. Like, don't just let guys walk anymore because I don't think that's the way the NHL is going. I think it's kind of if you get to the deadline and you think this team wants them and they're going to re-sign them, then get something for it. Yeah, and just back on Kogutra for a second too. Why do so many people hate the idea of him coming back to the NHL? Like, there are so many people in the Bruins fan base that are like, no, we don't need him and he's just not worth it. And if it's a free asset that's already in your system and he's still very young and he's very offensively gifted and he's matured both as a player and as a person, I think, why not, if he's ready to come back and he's actually good enough to come back in your lineup, shouldn't you be happy about having that extra asset? Mm. Like, there's zero downfall to that. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed watching him uh, in Providence, point-per-game player, and even going back a uh, uh, developmental level uh, when he was playing in Windsor, man, that he was flat-out good. Skate, skill, I mean, you know, there's a reason why he got picked by the Bruins. Um, uh, I'm not sure what, what exact round, but... Um, it was second or third. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, he there was a there's an added level of skill there that the Bruins saw, and and that he's continually to show, uh, even he, even if he's over in in the KHL, that he can still play the game. Uh, so, whether, I'm not sure if he's Bruins property now. Um, he is. He is still. Yeah, and fortieth uh, overall. So, I'm I'm assuming this has got to be the last year that he's 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 uh, property, right? Uh, I'm not sure. Right. Also, I'm going to just double check that he is still. I, I, think I, I, would say, I think he absolutely isn't, no matter what, at this point. Like as an I think, RFA, I'm pretty sure you hold you hold the right. Yeah, you hold the rights until I th- is it six years or I think, I think it's seven it's, years or twenty seven, whichever. Yeah. But it's accrued seasons as well, right? Yeah, yeah, because so it was the same play. with uh, Korklachev leaving um, New Jersey. They kept his rights, and he. Uh, New Jersey had to agree to him coming back into the league right. uh, at one point when he'd lost his right, like when they'd lost his rights, they still had to agree to him coming back into the league because they they were the owners of his rights originally and then they'd lost it. So It kind of reminds me of uh, what happened to Carl Soderberg when, when goaltender Hanu Toyovinen was traded to St. Louis for Soderberg's rights, not a contract. And Soderberg refused to come over because he didn't want to play in the American Hockey League uh, and finally made a deal in the last year, which was like six years later after that trade that he finally came. Um, yeah, so it does happen. Um, and that's I mean, another guy that's changed his career around Jesus Christ. Soderberg? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's playing really well in Colorado. With uh, with Koklachev, I mean, it's a guy that wants to play in the NHL, right? And he's very good. He's still very young. I would like to see him get a chance. Sure. I don't know how, it, and I don't think it would be with the Bruins at this point. But I think the dialogue's definitely open between the two. 
And I think if the Bruins could even find a way to trade his rights at some point, you're not going to get a lot for it, but just get something and right. get to see him play in the NHL. I'd be excited to see that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but even if you let a team talk to him first to see if he would sign and then release his rights, I mean, because from what I believe, you can allow a team to talk to a player, but you're not allowed to talk to the player without the team's permission. So even if a team agreed a contract with him and then you trade his rights, he'd probably even get more than you would in the first place. Right, and so I think, I, it's I like think a he fifth, could like maybe a third. Yeah, and I think, honestly, when you're looking at it, you've got Bergeron, Krejci, Bacchus down the middle at the moment. All those guys are aging. All of them are how many years away from contracts? Three, I think. Well, other than David Bacchus, I think he's four years away. But I'm pretty sure Krejci is about three and the same with Bergeron. I think Bacchus is also three. Yeah, so... I mean, all those guys are running out of contracts. Is Krejci going to stay after that three seasons? Who knows? I think Bergeron probably will, but for how many years, we don't know because of how much abuse his bodies took. But when you've got a guy like Koklichev to bring him back in and the way that he's changed his game over in the KHL and he does play a lot more of a two-way game now, I know a lot of people won't believe it, but <laughs> I've, I've seen it with my own eyes. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd take him back in a heartbeat. I think uh, they said they were going to give him an opportunity. He didn't feel that he got his fair opportunity. But if they brought him back on a one-way NHL deal where he either gets paid or he sits, like he's not going down to the AHL ever again if he does come back. So Right. Yeah, he won't yeah. report at least, you know. He had, what, I think like 50 points in 50 games or something, or 52, 53 games last year in the KHL. Yeah. So he's a point-a-game player. I think he had like 20 goals, maybe a little less. He's 25, so let's say he comes back in three years. Let's just say he stays out of the league for that many years. He stays in the KHL. What if he's 28 years old and the Bruins decide, hey, we need a center behind, let's say, I don't know, Bergeron's still there, Crazy's still there. And you have to assume that some combination of Stidnicka, Frederick, and Forsbacher Carlson are already in the league at that point. Uh, and Donato. I'm not saying he's going to be the center, but he's still an option. So if you have all those players, does he fit in the lineup? Have they actually, you know, have they grabbed the brass ring and have they, they made an impact? And is Kokolchev not uh, necessary? Or, you know, have they struggled and is he, you know, is he the best option they have because he's been a point game player in the KHL, let's say? I think it's a lot of speculating. It's really hard to figure out how things are going to go. And it's even yeah. like when I made my, my predictions for the Lions this season, I was super hesitant, and I made sure everyone realized the game one lineup means absolutely nothing. I said it means nothing by like January and then my playoffs. It meant nothing by the second game of the season, and it still means nothing. You know, Where, it, there's a lot of fine tuning that goes on as the whole season goes on. Injuries happen. There's no way you can ever predict something in, in season, let alone three years down the road. So I, I think it'll be interesting to monitor Kokolchev. And every time that he gets written about, I think there's always, it's a funny reaction. It's kind of a visceral and just, well, there's no reason he should be on this roster because he left us. Yeah. Well, you know, he did what was best for his career. And wouldn't you do that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but the, like the KHL season finishes before the NHL season. And they brought in Ryan Donato late last season. So That's there's true. always the chance that they bring in a guy like that later on in the season just as a depth guy. 
I mean, with the offense that he's got, you could slot him on line one or two and probably produce a few points for you during the playoffs. So it, it's just it's one of them things, like you said, you can't predict where, like how the future goes. Like you don't know where guys are going to be. So it it's just one of them. You just got to wait and see. But I, I think he eventually makes it back to the NHL, whether it's with the Bruins. It doesn't really matter. I think he'll make it onto one team at some point. Yeah, just going. Go ahead, Mark. Sorry. No, no, go ahead. I was just thinking back on the unpredictability thing. If I would have asked you two weeks ago, who's the Bruins' third line center? I think you could have a very, you know, not even split, but a very fair uh, argument for Studnicka, Frederick, and Forsberg Carlson. You know, fast forward two weeks, not a single one is in the NHL. Right. I, so I said Corrales. Yeah, I, I also say said I actually called it. <laughs> I like, also thought Corrales was an option, so I'm glad, I'm glad <laughs> we all kind of like kept that option open. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I uh, I retweeted my tweet. I think uh, the moment they announced that he was on the third line centre spot, Bacchus, <laughs> and I just said, "Yep." Called Again, <laughs> yeah. I have a history of doing this. <laughs> it, it's well, a curse. <laughs> Well, folks, that has been an hour and one of the fastest hours of talking Bruins hockey that I've been a part of. Um, but uh, for right now, we do have to mention our uh, this week's Black and Gold Hockey Podcast Patreon listener reward winner, and that is Sharon Dietz. Uh, congratulations, Sharon, and thank you for your contributions to the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast. Uh, she's a very good, uh, very diehard Bruins fan. Had her on the Beers and Bruins pod a couple weeks ago. She was a delight to talk to, uh, so congratulations. And and uh, I just want to take this opportunity to uh, mention that we are coming back on the second hour. We've got Josh Beamers coming on to talk Bruins prospects. We've got a lot to talk about. Uh, AHL, uh, CHL, and NCAA have been, have been uh, incorporated into our talk, so stay tuned for that. But um, first and foremost, before we end, I have to say thank you to Brandon Share Cohen. You can follow him at Share Cohen on Twitter. Uh, he's a featured columnist and news lead uh, over at the HockeyWriters.com website, and he's one of my favorite writers, honestly. So when he writes the Bruins stuff, I'm always paying attention and retweeting. So, Brandon, thank you so much for the time today, and we're definitely going to have you back on again. You're making me blush, Mark. Thanks so much for having me on. That's what I do best, man. <laughs> But uh, uh, for Rob, myself, and Brandon Shant-Cohen, uh, we thank you so much for listening. Um, uh, if you want to get involved in the Listener Awards program, please go to patreon.com slash Podcast and donate a dollar per show. It's a max of $4 a month. Helps us cut the uh, operating costs of, uh, of our program and uh, give a little bit back to our writers. So uh, thank you again, and, and we will talk to you next week. So stay tuned for, for some Bruins Prospect Talk. Take care, everybody. Passion, talent, development. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 90% rate. Nick Bukestad. Backhand scores! Wow, what a goal! David Backus. And Zach Parisi were stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. Champions of the college hockey world! Puck gets under the skate of Nikki Petty and Jack Stanika, shorthanded breakaway, scores! Tucks it in underneath Cole Cece and it's a 1-0 Oshawa lead. 
Jr. Now McLeod mishandles and Donato tries to make a pay. Here's Donato. In deep, Ryan Donato pulls and scores! A highlight reel goal for Ryan Donato! Goes to his left, in front, and that's Fred Frederick on the one-time redirect. Frederick with his fourth, and Team USA now up 8-2. to two. Hey Bruins fans, we are back for another exciting uh, segment of the uh, Boston Bruins Prospect Talk with Josh Bemis. Josh, how's it going? Good, how are you, Mark? I'm, I'm all right. Not you know, considering I'm okay. Uh, you, <laughs> you can. I think uh, we're both. Uh, yeah, we're both on suicide watch after that <laughs> abysmal performance by the P Bruins last night. Yeah, you can. Um, you can follow Josh at Two Causeway at 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 the Twitter. And uh, you can also, uh, his writings, uh, shippingupthecauseway.com, does a fantastic job over there. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I, don't, I, don't, I just don't get this team sometimes, uh, especially the past couple of years and the way it's trending. It seems like they, this team does not get it moving until December for the past three or four seasons. But I'm you know, happy to say that during that trend, they are a playoff team, but... You know these these points are as important as the ones in uh, in in March and April. So I'd really like to see this team get a little more involved. There's there's way too much talent uh, on that roster to 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 play like this. And and it it really to me it just seems it comes down to either they're not listening to the message that's being told by uh, second year head coach Jay Leach, uh, Trent Winfield, and the new dude. But I'm gonna learn that guy's name. Um, but or it's just they are really that green that they need a little time to figure it out. So regardless, I hope it they get back on track. But um, which Mark? Here's an opinion for you. Which do you think would be worse? Well, go ahead. Yeah, I mean that's that's really my question is like which do you think would be worse in that case? Do you think it's worse if they're green or do you think it's worse if, you know, they're not really picking up the uh, coaching instruction from the coaching staff down in Providence? I think it's the message that if they're not getting the message, I think that's the biggest thing. Uh the the whole green part and being new to the league like like this is Trent Frederick's uh first full season. And there's a couple other people that are enjoying their first full seasons um, and not, you know, not coming off of a college, uh, you know, short tenure and then playing just a three or four games before the off season. These guys are fully involved now. So I, I think it's the message that's, that's more concerning to me. I just, you know, I, I want to see them grasp this and run with it. So, you know, I hear what you're saying with the maybe the message not being received, and yet I also kind of look at you know last year. I mean Trent Frederick, he joined up from the University of when uh, after the Badger season ended in the University of Wisconsin. Him and uh, Cam Hughes came over at the almost the same time. Yep, and they slot right in with seemingly no problem. So I I really wonder if maybe. Second-year head coach uh, Jay Leach has changed up maybe his approach to the game, and that's not really conducive to maybe some of these young players that are coming in, or maybe now that they're faced with, like you were saying, not the maybe 
I don't want to say the comforts of college, but maybe the familiarity of college. Now they're coming into a like a different environment, so maybe they're yeah, maybe they're a little gun shy almost. Yeah, that's what it seems. I mean, and and there's no excuse this year for uh, the beginning of the year um, injuries at the NHL level that would really shuffle that lineup, you know, so awkwardly that you, you can't create chemistry. I mean, there's this team has had plenty of practice time over the week. They had basically six days to practice and get the, get things on track, and they just couldn't do it. Um, but why don't we just jump into the, the games uh, last week. There were two of them because um, there was no, no game last Sunday, which was really odd. Um, I'm used to the Sunday games, but it is what it is. But uh, on Friday, October 12th at the XL Center in Hartford, Connecticut, um, the Providence Bruins come out on, with a four to three uh, overtime win um, in the first period. JFK gets on the board, uh, assisted by McNeil and Clifton at six oh three. There was no Bruins goals in the second period. The third period, Anton Blee gets his first from Cave and Fighting um, at twelve sixteen. And then uh, Trent Frederick gets his first of the year from Coleman and Solaric at 13.48. Uh, and obviously the overtime winner went to Cody Gulabov, uh, his first from Fitzgerald and uh, Jeremy Lawson. And that's on the power play at 1.03 of the overtime period. Um, shots on goal for Providence with 36 to Hartford's 18. Uh, Dane McIntyre gets the win. He's one and one. He's making 15 saves on 18 shots. And yeah, I you know that game, it was good. I I feel like you'd like to see the Bruins take more control of the game, but overall they weren't bad. I think there was a couple of goals in there that McIntyre, you know. Maybe they were on him, but probably they weren't. I mean, one of the goals was a beautiful tip from the high slot. There was nobody covering Lias Anderson on the uh, goal post who just redirected the shot. McIntyre had no chance on that one. And then there was another uh, shot that – or not even a shot. There was actually a shot that came in. It ricocheted up into the air, and one of the real tall guys on the Hartford Wolfpack um, – I'm sorry, I'm blanking on his name, but I think it's Tim Gettinger. Okay. This guy's like 6'4", six, 6'5", six, and he bats it from about waist height down right back into the goal. And if they had reviewed that, I believe that would have been a high stick, you know, because you can't score um, from a deflection above the crossbar height. So both of those goals were, I don't put them on McIntyre. There's one that he should have absolutely had. There was a goal that... The Bruins failed to clear the zone. Two Hartford skaters got in from the blue line, and it just rifled past, and it got rifled past McIntyre. And he should have had that one because he had enough time to get set on that shooter. He had enough time to see that play developing where he could have kept that one. But the Bruins come back. I mean, to their credit, they spent the last 10 minutes really hammering the Wolf Pack and... I loved that one goal by uh, Kuhlman and Frederick working together because Kuhlman flew in. He absolutely rocketed into the zone, cut through the face-off circle, put the initial shot on, and then Frederick came crashing in and tucked the goal home. And from there, it just feel, felt like there was more of a momentum shift in the, Bro- in the Providence Bruins' favor. 
and they got a real big break at the end of the game when uh, Hartford Wolfpack got called for too many men on the ice with like 30 seconds left, which set up the uh, the, the the final power play and thus the ensuing goal from uh, Golubev. So it was a good game. You would have liked to have seen them take a bit more advantage of Hartford, you know, after maybe that first goal by JFK to really step on their throats. But overall, it was a good comeback win. And I wish they could have carried that momentum into the following night. Yeah, and, and my, one of my biggest concerns is a 60-minute effort. And it just seems like this is why I go back to like what we talked about in the message is, is you know, you've got to put in 60 minutes. Like like that Friday night overtime win, yeah, granted, you got the you got two points out of the deal. You And you're only two points you've earned in four games so far this season. But that also transfers into the second game we're going to talk about is that 60-minute effort. These guys cannot play a whole season coming from behind and trying to make up the last 10 minutes. You know, I mean, you have to give it your all, period one, period two, and period three. There's no, there's no need for that. I mean, this team, I just keep going back to this team on paper. It's way better than it seems and way better than what they're playing. But... I know Saturday night uh, at the dunk, they uh, they lost to the Hartford Wolfpack uh, 4-3. to uh, No Bruins goals in the first or second period, and this is what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Third third period comes in, uh, Providence, Zach Sinishin gets his first from uh, Fitzgerald and Solaric on the power play at 17-23. Uh, Providence, Colby Cave gets his first from Bleed and Fighting. Fighting's really uh, fighting to keep a spot there, eh? <laughs> See, you like that pun? <laughs> Come on, if, that if, was, if no, that was good. you that was you good. you'd be all over that too. <laughs> and and uh, he, the uh, cave goal came at seventeen thirty-eight, and then um, the Providence Anton Blee gets a second in as many nights uh, from Forge Barker and Carlson, and um, at nineteen forty-four, so. It, again, um, it's just the, the late surge is, is really unnecessary. Uh, shots on goal, uh, Hartford had 30, Providence 29. Power play opportunities, Hartford is 0 for 2, and Providence is 1 for 2. Um, Vladar takes the loss. He's 0-2 in the year, stopping 26 of 30. And uh, that was in front of 6,423 at the dunk on Saturday night, which is last night, so... We are recording on Sunday the fourteenth. So, yeah, I just want to see him, you know, get that sixty-minute effort. You know, if you're going to attack, do it early, um, exactly, and, and often, exactly. And the problem last night, Mark, was, I mean, I was sitting with a couple of people who are more connoisseurs of the game, kind of like you and I are, and they were saying, you know, Providence was buzzing for the first fifteen minutes, and then. All of a sudden, they got so deflated by that first and then second goals that it took the wind out of their sails for the second, and they couldn't mount really anything in the second. They kind of were hemmed in in their own end, to be honest. And then you got hammered again with the third goal and again with the fourth goal, and that basically put it away. I mean, granted, there was that nice surge at the end where they came to within a tying goal, but you cannot turn your offense on in the last five minutes of a game and expect to win. It's not how it works. You cannot, cannot, cannot do that. And yeah. it's so frustrating because you see the amount of talent on this team. You've got 
first rounder Zach Seneshin, first rounder Jakob Zaboral, first rounder uh, Trent Frederick, and first rounder Zach Seneshin, second rounder Jeremy Lozon, second rounder JFK. The list goes on and on, and they just cannot seem to put it together when the time when you know when their name is called they can't seem to put it together and i know that they can because you've seen them do it before and you say why can't you play to that level right now i mean what is holding you guys back right now because this seems to be a theme of the early season yeah absolutely so and i don't mean to hammer them but i mean i'm just passionate about this because oh yeah we are, we're both we're both huge fans we are in no means necessary to our listeners out there trashing this team at all it's just a nope. bit of, it's a bit of a concern and like like i said and, and what josh just said it's a trend that seems to be happening more and more as the season starts and it's unfortunate because like i said this team's so talented and they could do such great things i mean you look at them on paper and you think immediately Calder Cup favorite, just yeah. with the amount of talent that's on there. Yep, or at least at least a little better than uh, the first uh, round for sure last year. Ab- you know, absolutely, yeah. But they did draw the Lehigh Valley Phantoms yeah. for absolute wagon last yeah. year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, th- there's um, shoot, I forgot to do my. My um, games ahead. Do you do you happen to know the schedule up to Saturday next week? Um, I know that they're playing Springfield this afternoon, which will be taking, which I'll be taking, and uh, both of us will be watching. Yeah, I'll be watching. Yep. Um, and then it's <laughs> going to be Friday and Saturday next week. Sure. Looks like. Um, hang on, just one second. Sorry, everybody. No, nah, that's that's my fault. I dropped the ball on this one. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because I know that they probably play Friday and more than likely Saturday as well. Just give me a sec to. Jeez, uh, yep. why is it? Why the? They only got the home. Oh, there's the season schedule. Okay, I was gonna say, why is it only showing me the uh, home schedule right, right now? Okay, so we got uh, next week Friday the nineteenth. We got uh, I believe it's away at Bridgeport. Okay. And then uh, home at Bridgeport on the twentieth, if I'm not mistaken. And no game Sunday, which is a which is Another rare one. because yeah, usually they play a three and three. You know what's weird is I found out this season that there's it looks like there's less Sunday games, more Saturday home games, which which benef- I'm okay with. Well, yeah, it benefits me too because I can actually make a a trip out of it uh, mm-hmm. and go down and watch it and take in a game because it's so hard for me to leave Friday after work and then try to get down there. You know, so Saturday is a little better travel time, a little more relaxed and not rushing around. So Exactly, exactly. So you feel like you're more prepared and relaxed and ready to watch the game and take it all in. Yeah, so after after four games, they're one and three. Uh, they sit in seventh place in the Atlantic Division. It's still early, but uh, right now Charlotte is running away with it. They uh, have a perfect record at 4-0. and and, and if I'm not mistaken, nope, Chicago has a three and all record. San Jose Barracuda have a three and all record. So there's other teams that are unbeaten so far, but it's still going to be a, a, a tough um, test to climb. <laughs> you know what's funny? I was looking at the standings. And, oh, okay, never mind. <laughs> They're playing the uh, Springfield Thunderbirds, and I saw three games played, but only one win. But then I had to look way over and see this shootout loss, and they have two. I know. I'm really hoping that that bodes well for the Bruins this afternoon. But yeah, because they play, they played Lehigh Valley 
well last night going into the third period with I believe five minutes left in the game uh, up four to two and then here comes Lehigh Valley to tie it up and end up winning in the shootout so I'm hoping that that kind of tires them out a bit exactly like we talked about that last night uh, on the on the tweet machine you know saying that you know this could be a benefit for us especially on the road so um yeah, so I, just, I hope they turn it around. Again, another full week of practice, which, which hopefully something gets ingrained into the, in the scullies. Even if I have to go down there and give each 23-man roster down there a noogie, each of them. You know? Definitely. And it's I a, think there was a quote from Jay Leach that I heard, and I think that this sums up the way that we're going to feel about this. Maybe for the month of uh, October at the very least, is that it's a 76-game season, and you don't exactly lose you know you don't lose the chance to make the playoffs in october but you're making that hell hard to climb yeah yeah absolutely i mean it's not there's we're not hovering over the panic button at all but you know there there are points that josh and i see when we watch these games as you know as we are fortunate to have the package the ahl tv package to, to to follow and and obviously you're a season ticket holder and go uh to all the games um to get that eye test but we're not we're not panicking yet i mean if you're not going to make the playoffs and you're out of it by february i i'd be you know doing the jimmy fly snook of you know right onto that panic button but oh know, yeah <laughs> well i mean well, it, it remains to be seen but there's still good things to see the important thing is is most of us don't under i mean i know you understand and 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 i understand but to the common fan of the Providence Bruins um, that don't get involved like we do, you know, it's 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 really not about wins and loss, playoffs and call the cups. It it's about proper development, and that and this is a developmental league. Yes, it's very good to win. It's always a plus to win, especially for the area that you that the team is in the community, but also it's all about development. You know the. I, I don't know if I told you the story, but when I was a Manchester Monarchs uh, season ticket holder, um, Luke Robitaille, who was the team president, came t- and talked to all the season ticket holders and said, and, you know, Hubie McDonough, which was his under, understudy at the time, said that, you know, we're not here, we're not here to win called the Cups. The American Hockey League is here to support the NHL affiliate and in their mission to win a stanley cup so absolutely you know it's just some little things that you got to understand for the common folk out there that don't dive deep like we do and um into the whole uh thing but uh speaking of diving deep into the prospect pool uh let's go to the uh, ontario hockey league's Oshawa generals uh bruins second round Pick in 2017, Jack Sudnika played one game last week on Friday night, October 12th, in a 2-1 loss to the Peterborough Peets. Captain Jack went pointless in that game and doesn't have any points in his last two, dating back to October 5th when he helped with two assists effort against the uh, Hamilton Bulldogs. Studnika has eight points in six games played this season. Um, staying with the Generals, uh... Bruins prospect and Oshawa Generals goaltender Kyle Kieser suffered his second loss of the season on Friday, October 19th against Peterborough. He's 1-2 and two in the year with a pretty decent goals against the average of 2.44 and a 9.36 save percentage. So 
he's got some work to uh, to do as long as as well as the team in front of him. So man, I can't speak today. That's all right. And I it's stayed so- and I stayed somewhat sober yesterday. I had one beer. <laughs> How did you do? Oh. Did you did you go out and? Oh, I need to have a I need to have a couple like you did the week prior. Oh, no, the, we uh we were imbibing during the game. It was getting that bad. So <laughs> yeah, we were uh, we were going hard on the uh well, not hard because I mean you'd spend a small fortune if you went hard, but yeah. I guess hard as the budget would stretch. There you go. Yeah, the same same with <laughs> so, yeah. same with Courtney and I. <laughs> fortunately, yeah, fortunately not exactly hurting today. There you go. It's like it was last week. Oh my god. That was bad. <laughs> on, on our pre on our pre-talk uh little uh pre pre-show talk, you were like, you were too funny, man. It's like I'm freaking hurt and <laughs> That's yep. awesome. Um but you know, I'm with with Oshawa, I think they're okay right now. A couple of losses and I think they lost again last night if I was reading the uh, tweet machine correctly because I was trying to keep an eye on you know our uh, our developmental teams as well as watch the Providence Bruins, but maybe this is just a, a slight downswing for Captain Jack. I mean, Sudnik has been a reliable point getter ever since he was drafted and ever since he was on our radar. So it's you know you you don't like to hear him go pointless, but I think it's just a blep in kind of the radar that you don't have to worry about, and you just pass on by. And I think he'll get back to his win his point getting ways in the next week. Yeah, Jack uh, Studnik is very streaky. I've noticed when I when I keep up on his on his stats on the ohl.com website, um, his game to game stat area, he he can go like seven games with a point, and then go four or five without, and then go like on a twelve game stretch with a point. You know, so he's very up and down. But it, it's it, there's nothing wrong with that. He, I mean, he's still averaging out to be, uh, if not close to a point per game. Uh, career player in the O, so uh, lots of good things to come from him. He's still, he's still a, a, a he, he is to me, is it's just a truck. I mean, he gets in all situations along the boards, in front of the net, behind the net, plays a power play on the point, uh, and and really sneaks into the top of the circles where the hash marks are for that one timer, and it's been effective uh, this year. So I mean, this this. I'm not overly worried about his his progression and where he's going as of this point in the season. A lot of good things to come, so I still I still kind of predict them to be a, a heavy not a heavy favorite for for a, uh, a league championship, but to be in the mix in the playoffs. You know, it, it, it's still early. Absolutely. Um, do you want to move on to the Niagara Ice Dogs and Daniel? No, I just I want to. Uh, uh, the Generals have three games for the upcoming okay. week, starting October fourteenth uh, today, uh, at home against Hamilton. Thursday, October eighteenth, at Peterborough, and rounding the week off on the road in London on Friday night, October nineteenth. Uh, the Generals are in fourth place in the Eastern East Division with a three four and zero record and six points, uh, five points behind third place Hamilton and. Now we'll move on to segue into the Ontario Hockey League's uh, Niagara Ice Dogs. Uh, Bruins' seventh-round pick in 2017, Daniel Bukash, uh, continues to play well for Niagara, even though he has just one assist on the year. Uh, He's in a three-way tie for first uh, with um, a plus six. Um, The Ice Dogs play four games this week, starting today, October 14th, on the road in Sudbury. 
Wednesday the 17th on the road in Erie. Thursday, October 18th at home against the Ottawa 67s. And rounding the week off uh, at home October 19th against the Windsor Spitfires. Uh, Niagara is fourth place in the Central Division so far with a 4-4-2 record and 10 points. Uh, trailing third place Barry Colts by one point. So, good good things from him to continue. I'm, I'm still seeing... You know him flashes of brilliance from him. Yeah, and 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 like we said, and for the past two or three weeks, it's I think that change from the WHL Brandon Weekings made a big difference in his development. I think he's playing a bigger, like even though he's a, he's basically a rookie in the OHL with with the with that transfer. It wasn't actually a transfer; it was a release and then commit. But um, I just think he's playing a, le- a more of a leadership role. On, on the blue line as a, as a shutdown defenseman is not, he's not offensive at all, but he's, you know, he's, he is taking those dumb penalties. Um, he's, he's, I, I was, you know, he kind of reminds me of Brandon Carlo when he played for tri city and Brandon was getting like a, a, a penalty per game and for the, for the, uh, the cross check to the back kind of thing. That's what Bukash is like. I catch him doing that. I'm like, Daniel, oh, you're going to get called for that every time. And it almost seems like the referee goes over and says, you know, if you keep it up, I'm going to call you. But, <laughs> He's but, got a reputation almost. Yeah. You know, I mean, he, I, he has a job to do to get, you know, the, the havoc away from his goaltender in front of him, which is Stephen Dillon, uh, another goaltender that I'm really high on that I'm so surprised did not get drafted. He's been through three drafts so far and not selected. So, um, you know, it, it is what it is, and, and Daniel's going to be one of those guys. And he's a right shot defenseman that was pointed out by by somebody on Twitter. I think it was Bruins Hockey, uh, you know, which which could be beneficial uh, in the in in the future. Even though he's not one of those types of uh, offensive defensemen, but uh, you never know. Once you make that jump to the AHL, this this coaching staff down in the minor pro level can actually mold him into being a different player. So who knows? I mean, it's the future is bright. Um, heading over to the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, Ramusi Oceanic, uh, Bruins sixth-round pick in 2017, Cedric Pare continues to have a his best start to any year in the queue that he's played thus far. Uh, in three games last week, he went pointless in two of them and had a goal and an assist on Wednesday night, October 10th, in a 5-6 to six loss to Shakutami. In 10 games so far this season, Pare has 10 points. Ramuski has three games this week, starting today, October 14th, at home against Bay Como, Thursday night on the road in Cape Breton, and finishing the week on Saturday night, October 20th, on the road in Charlottetown. And staying in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League in the, uh, for Ruin, Duran, the Huskies, uh, slowly becoming my favorite prospect, um, is... Uh, is um, but Bruins third round pick in 2018, Jakob Lauko played in two Steel games. Steal of the draft. Yeah, he played in two games last week, gathering points in both contests. He had his first two goal game on Friday, October 12th, against Moncton, and uh, had an assist in last night's game on Saturday, October 13th, against Drummondville. Lauko now has five points in five games played this year. The Huskies have two games this week, starting on Friday night, October 18th. Sorry, 19th on the road against Bay Como and again against Bay Como on Saturday night, October 20th. So I, I 
he's just so flashy. Um, and I've talked to a couple people that, that uh, are close to our Ruin Naranda's team, and they said that he's just he's he's got that stride that it almost seems like once he gets going that one stride he's already like twelve steps ahead of his uh, of the of the opposing player trying to cover him. So yep, I mean, that <clears throat> speed and we we both saw that speed at, at development camp and and rookie and in, camp. Yep, absolutely, exactly. I was going to say at rookie camp especially, he just seemed to be miles ahead of the competition in terms of his skating advantage and his skating abilities. Yeah, and and I, I actually was talking to somebody on Twitter and I know not every I'm not saying that I'm perfect and I know any much more than anybody else, but it's it is my belief that the conversation actually started with yeah, he's going to have a big year, Lauko that is, is going to have a big year this year and then he'll be on the NHL Bruins next season. Eh really not too sure about that um, because there's a lot of things that he needs to work on outside of his speed yeah. he might have an nhl stride and he might have an nhl speed but that doesn't mean that he needs to work on his senses and his positioning on the ice which can occasionally get him into trouble and maybe his discipline a little bit i know during the preseason he took a couple of dumb penalties and it's preseason yes I understand that the games don't matter, but it's an indication of where he might be in the process of development. So perhaps he does need to work on his discipline a little bit and knowing how to keep his emotions in check. And that's not a bad thing. He's 19 years old and he's a little subject maybe to people hacking and whacking at him things that he might experience in the NHL. And this is a great chance for him to develop at the North American level in Quebec where he's facing competition at his own level. Yeah, and one one of the gripes uh, or, or the argument was, you know, how much I I said I could see him spending this year and maybe another two seasons until he's twenty uh, in the queue, learning the game and you know, you know, acting like a sponge down there to be ready to, for American Hockey League eligibility with the Providence Bruins, and. The narrative came back to, well, how much longer can he truck people in the queue? And it's like, it's really not about that. It's it's about learning, absorbing, and, and being, and creating opportunities to, you know, add to your portfolio of attributes that the Bruins once saw you in the third round when they selected you. So there's always, it's a work in progress. It's absolutely, you know, I don't, I, I'm absolutely. not, I'm, I'm just not a fan of, of, you know, once you leave the podium, he's got to be in the NHL. I don't, I don't like that theory at all, and that doesn't happen anymore. The, the, the NHL nowadays is is leaning towards, um, you know, developing properly, and 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 playing with house money. You know, not nobody's out there making huge huge trades anymore. Well, maybe I'm not seeing them. It might happen, but. Uh, but I see a lot of teams really relying on their developing depth uh, to to stay under the cap ceiling. So, you know, there's there's so many uh, so many aspects that you have to look at. Um, but I'm I'm actually happy to say we do have some NCAA hockey to report on. I love that the Maine Black Bears are playing because they're an exciting team to watch, not only for Swayman. But just the rest of the teams, I mean, you got to love some good hockey. And they've been playing good hockey in their first two official games of the season. Yeah. Yeah. And I love the way you said official. 
That's my favorite word about this whole conversation is official. Exhibition points do not count in exhibition games, especially against teams that are outside of the country. Thank you. Uh, anyway, but uh, yeah, the, the Black Bears are back. They, they played two games against the St. Lawrence Saints uh, this weekend, and uh, they swept both games. Uh, Bruins fourth round pick in 2017 in University of Maine goaltender Jeremy Swayman had a big weekend. Uh, starting on Friday night, October 12th against St. Lawrence, stopped 16 of 17 shots for a 3-1 win and rolling over to Saturday night's contest against the same St. Lawrence University club, this time beating the Saints by a score of 4-1, to one, uh, stopping 23 of 24 shots uh, to sweep the weekend series at Alfond Arena in Orono, Maine. Um, the Black Bears have two games... Uh, this week, starting on Friday, October 19th, as they travel to play the Minnesota Duluth Bulldogs. And once again on Saturday night, October 20th, against the Bulldogs, same Bulldogs team. Swayman is 2-0 so far in the young collegiate hockey season and has a goals against average of 1.0 and a .951 save percentage. Uh he looked good in the stops that he made. I know he, there wasn't a lot of traffic. Uh, well, what I mean was uh, he's he didn't he saw the shots that he had to see, but the guys out in front of him, especially his defensive core, were really tight coverage playing so that and, and blocking shots that he didn't have to see thirty or forty shots a night. So mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, kudos to those guys, the the D core on the Black Bears team. Um, and Jeremy for, for playing a really good game. And, and, uh, I know it's, I'm not, I'm not too familiar with St. Lawrence university and where they sit. I know it's a non-conference game, but it's still a regular season game. It's still something to build on. And especially for Swayman, um, there's high expectations for him to have a big year this year. And in an article that was written on October 5th, uh, from the main, uh, Black Bears website, uh, that he's one of 20 goaltenders that are um, are in the that could end up winning the Mike Richter Award for the best uh, goaltender in the uh, in the states. So um, he's got al- he's already got a high ceiling on him, and I believe that he will be one of the best uh, goaltenders out there. I mean, you, you talk to uh, Brett Schlossman and Nate Yule that uh, on College Hockey Inc. the podcast; those guys are constantly talking about him saying that he's going to be a the big factor coming out of Maine who did have a pretty decent uh recruiting class this year and um you know we we saw we saw uh Fossio I don't remember his first name Mitchell Fossier Fossier yeah and, I mean we saw him at development camp as a as a camp invite and I thought he was he was a bit flashy and so on I mean, and could be on the Bruins radar for a free agent signing maybe later on in you know his future but good things come out of Maine it's good to see that you know the university I mean university hockey and college hockey is is coming back in the fold I I really wanted to jump in with some with some uh, Yale hockey talk and and Curtis Hall but though the the oh I forgot what Yale is what's that Yale Yale Bulldogs ah see I got I was getting Minnesota Duluth mixed up but um yeah I mean uh Curtis Hall, prospect, uh, he's not going to stop playing until late October, later this month. And, 
and Jack Becker uh, for Michigan has uh, one game under the regular season. He's got no points, but did have a pretty decent um, uh, preseason games. So something to look forward to. Uh, anything, <clears throat> anything that you want to bring up, sir? Well, uh, one thing I'd say definitely that Swayman, what I loved about the games against St. Lawrence were that Swayman just looked like he had fun. If you look at his body language in the crease the whole time, he just looked like he was really enjoying himself and like he was really taking this opportunity to, like you said, have a big year. And I think he's starting it off on the right note, which is absolutely what you wanted to see. You didn't want to see him get shelled in the first few games. And maybe his team kind of helped him out with that. But like you said, kind of limiting the amount of shots that he had to see from difficult areas. But there was a couple of flashy saves. I mean, there was one 2-on-0 save that he made that was oh, brilliant. And he God. stuffed him. Oh, that and, was so awesome. That was at the, the end of the end of the highlight video. Right. And you, could add, and you could see he was just feeling it in the crease that he knew he had command of the game and that he was not going to let himself be beat by subpar shooters from St. Lawrence, and he absolutely did. And I really love the way that he approached that game. Just felt like he was such in command of that game. So I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm. If you think of you know the the uh, goaltender like a, a quarterback almost, kind of directing the flow of the game. That was an example of Jeremy Swim playing that kind of quarterback role and setting the tone for the rest of his team. And that's why I think he's going to be a big time prospect, maybe a couple of years down the road is that he's going to maybe start, you know, if Vladar's maybe our goaltender of the near future. Swayman is the goaltender of the far future. So those were some really good games. And I was so excited to kind of catch not only the highlights, but maybe like a condensed version of that game. So another interesting prospect to watch. And um, if anybody wants some story time, uh, I did meet up with Bruins prospect Jesse Gabrielle last night, and I stuck my foot so far in my mouth I had to call an ambulance to get it out. <laughs> Let's hear it. All right. So um, I met Jesse Gabrielle at the dunk last night. I was asking him about just kind of what was going on. You know, how are you? How's your injury? How's things going since then? What have you been doing to kind of keep yourself in game ready shape since uh, being cleared to play? Uh, just general questions just trying to get a feel for how he's doing with the whole process and i got to the point where um we were talking about the differences between when he got sent to the uh, regina pats and his former junior team which i totally flubbed and here's where the funny part comes in i accidentally said hey jesse how's you know how did you feel that you were utilized with the regina pats versus the moncton wildcats oh shit Amongst Wildcats are in the QMJHL. His former team was the something something Cougars. Yeah, Prince, I, Prince George Cougars. Thank you. And I <laughs> totally flubbed that. And for a minute, I could see his face. He just didn't know what was going on. And I was, you know, and then he kind of proceeded to give me basically the same answer that he had to a previous question. And I knew something was wrong, so I was like, all right, I'm just going to shake his hand. We're going to walk away and forget that this ever happened. (laughs) So I was like, thanks for your time. Sorry, I don't want to take up too much more. You know, I I know you're probably trying to get back to wherever you were going. And uh, he was like, hey, nice to chat with you. We parted ways. And then I turned to my friend and I was like, oh, my God, I meant to say the Cougars, not the Moncton Wildcats. 
<laughs> you had a Mark Allred moment. <laughs> I had a Mark Allred moment. I must be hanging around you too much, Mark, because that was vintage Mark Allred right yeah. there. <laughs> if, if, if you're just listening now, I will tell you my flub. I, I was in the Bruins locker room at Warrior Ice Arena for um, a development camp. And I just got done talking to Daniel Bukash. So I had that name really fresh in my head. And I went up to Cedric Pare and I said, Cedric, do you mind if I get a couple of minutes? And he was very obliged to, to, to say absolutely. And that's that. And when I started recording, I said, you know, I'm, I'm here at Warrior Ice Arena talking to Daniel Bukash. And, and Cedric was, was, was fun. He was, I mean, you could tell he was, he was like, uh, that's not me. But when he turned around to point at his own name tag and say, I'm Cedric Barre, that's when I was just like, oh. I felt lower than the, than the, 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 than the walking mat in a locker room. I was low. That's how low I felt. But, it, you know, it, it happens. I mean, you know, we're, 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 we're basically just getting used to these uh, being around these players on a regular basis. So it, it's going to get better. But... You know, you, you gotta you gotta stumble before you start running. You know what I mean? I think uh, Jesse Gabrielle took one look at the can of uh, I think it was uh, Michelob that I was drinking last night and probably understood maybe I wasn't thinking a hundred percent straight. So <laughs> I think he gave me a little bit of a little I don't know, a little mercy for that flub because oh my goodness, I, I I I like you said, I felt lower than the uh, mat at the on the under the locker room. So oh hey, my goodness, I'm not going to give you any mercy on the flub you just made on a beer. Yeah, <laughs> Michelob. Hey, hey it's, it's Michelob. Michelob. Oh well, <laughs> it's all right, buddy. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I've been listening to French names for you know for the past couple of days. <laughs> I, you know, I heard. doing stuff in the QMJHL, so I'm thinking. Michelle, Michelle, <laughs> Michelobe. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, I give you so much credit for doing your work and doing all the translations. <laughs> the Rowan Durant, you know. Oh, God, that's, I, I hate that. Oh, when he got picked down, I'm like, oh, I got to say this on a weekly basis. <laughs> just let just let me say it, honestly. There you go. I mean, I'll just, I'll I, just, I'll... I've actually been practicing that name since, uh, since I know that he was going there. Yeah. I actually... One of my friends, uh, he he speaks a little bit of French, so I was like, "Hey, how exactly do I pronounce this name?" Yeah, because I knew that we'd be talking about it on the the podcast hour. So there's a lot of prep work that goes into this, and uh, it's it's fun to see some of the behind the scenes stuff that maybe you know some of our listeners don't exactly get to uh, see firsthand. But it's fun to recount. Yeah, and, and you know what's funny is I can say Shaku to me, I can say Shawin again, I can say all this, but I can't get Rwanda. <laughs> I did it. I did it. Okay, there. But if you if, if I wasn't pressured into saying it, I would fumbled it. But anyway, um, uh, let's en- let's end our prospect talk now because we got about twenty minutes before puck drop between this uh, Springfield Thunderbirds and the uh, Providence Bruins. So, uh, Josh, once again, thank you so much for joining me this week and uh, and doing the the prospect update. We will we will definitely get in touch over the week and and start planning for uh, next week's show. So, um, absolutely, always a pleasure. Thank you very much for listening, everybody, and uh, we truly appreciate it. Um, yeah, I think that's it. So, uh, for for me, Mark Allred and uh, Josh Bemis, we will talk to you very soon.
Thanks for tuning in to this week's show. You can follow the guys on Twitter at blackandgold277, at Court Lalonde, and at Rob40Bruins. You can also send us an email to the show's account at blackandgoldhockeyblog at gmail.com.